What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and thanks for joining me on this fake U.S. Army giveaway edition. On today's show, we'll talk about how the U.S. Army is banning people on Switch Channel, and later on, we'll have Tyler Esgueda from Dot Esports breaking down the state of the mid lane for U.S. players in League of Legends. Either way, let's get into the first story. The U.S. Army has been increasing its recruitment efforts in courting esports fans. Not only has the U.S. Army been more active on Switch broadcasts, it's been active in the chat too. Rod Slasher Breslow posted a video on Twitter of users getting banned from the chat by talking about U.S. intervention overseas or linking Wikipedia articles to U.S. war crimes. In a statement device, the U.S. Army contends that it was only following Twitch's guidelines on harassment by banning these users. Of course, the users posting the content feel very differently. There's a certain bizarreness to the U.S. Army, you know, the most powerful military on Earth, courting gamers. But this is kind of the state of the U.S. Army at the moment. If you look at kind of where the military has been in the last 20 years, it's been this failed war in Iraq, which many Americans feel was unjustified, the never-ending war in Afghanistan. For a lot of people that are maybe considering going to the military, they see this kind of wall of just bad news. If you look at college campuses, when people are asked if they would join the military, especially, let's say, people of certain ethnic backgrounds, whether they be, for example, Arab Americans, they feel a certain kind of betrayal by joining the U.S. Army, considering a lot of the bad stories that have come out from the Middle East regarding the U.S. and things where, you know, the U.S. Army accidentally bombing a wedding or, you know, accidentally killing innocent people at a marketplace. I mean, it doesn't help them and their recruitment efforts. When it comes to the president of the United States pardoning war criminals, like this is like a moment where the U.S. Army can project that, you know, not only are we strong, but we're fair. But even in these instances where people were convicted in military court of committing war crimes and being sentenced to prison and then having those sentences commuted by the president and pardoned completely, it feels that justice is fleeting. So when there is very little incentive to join a force which you feel is actually exacting proper justice both internally and externally. It's forcing the U.S. Army, in a sense, to find other avenues for recruits beyond just setting up a table at a county fair or setting up a table at a high school cafeteria. So let's break down why Twitch. The reason why the U.S. Army is going after Twitch, both the U.S. Army and the U.S. Air Force have esports teams. A lot of Twitch's audience is male. A lot of them are playing games like Call of Duty, so they might already have this kind of inherent interest in military life. So by having a Twitch stream, the idea is that, hey, maybe we can get people interested in the military through things that they like, right? So it's, you know, it's one thing to go and meet them at a college campus. It's another thing to meet them online at uh, on a Twitch stream that they're already watching. A lot of Twitch viewers do skew a little younger, so maybe they are a bit more impressionable. And then you have to also kind of look at some of the tactics that the U.S. Army is using. Uh, one thing is that they were doing is that they were doing a giveaway. At first, it wasn't kind of stated what the giveaway was, but if you sign up, you'd essentially be on the Army's database so that when you do turn 16, a recruiter could reach out to you. Twitch was not too happy about the U.S. Army, you know, doing a giveaway in which it was kind of vague as to what the prize was, or, you know, if there was a prize. At least one report said it was an Xbox Series 2 Elite controller. Either way, the U.S. Army still needs to up its recruitment efforts tremendously because if you look at the situation a few years ago in which two Navy ships collided with each other, when interviewing some of the sailors that were on there, they were clearly being overworked. I mean, they were working 16-hour days and then being told immediately to go to sleep so that they can wake up and work another 16-hour shift. That's unreasonable. So that 16-hour workday, which then goes into maybe like an hour, an hour and a half of kind of leisure time, you know, that only leaves a couple of hours of sleep. And talking to these sailors, it was very obvious that a lot of them were sleeping with their eyes open. I mean, a lot of them were just being overworked to that point, which causes these incidents. And the only way you can really fix that is one of two things. One, you figure out a way to increase recruitment because the U.S. Army, as powerful as it is, it's remarkable that it's all volunteer. 
So either you figure out a way to bring in more volunteers or you enact a draft. The last time the U.S. Army did enact a draft was the Vietnam War, which was highly unpopular and seen as highly unjust and seen as a failed conflict altogether. Any politician that would want to enact a draft would immediately get pushback and would immediately probably see their popularity go down. So the army is kind of caught in a tough place, right? Either it tries to go into areas which it didn't go to before to try to bolster its numbers. I mean, really, that's the only option it has. Now, in the past, the U.S. Army has always enlisted people who were not legal residents of the United States with the kind of promise that, you know, if you serve the country, that you will then be rewarded either with citizenship and, of course, you know, work and whatnot. But even then, under the Trump administration, where you're seeing instances of ICE, even veterans, them being deported, it really does put the taste that by joining this force, am I going to really be protected? Is justice going to really be protected? Is there going to be absolute fairness? And people pay attention to these things. And of course, you know, people bring up instances of like the translators in Afghanistan, so many of which risked their lives to help the U.S. Army to be granted protection and citizenship were not granted that. And many of them were killed you know, as revenge for helping American forces. So just that slew of bad press, them going after Twitch, it's really kind of bizarre. Of course, the people posting on these Twitch chats talking about how, you know, the U.S. Army has committed these war crimes or has committed these infractions for them to be banned. They obviously view things very differently. They feel that, you know, it's their right and duty to kind of inform those that are watching this Twitch channel that, you know, hey, this is not just the U.S. Army having fun here. There's an agenda here and that you should kind of know U.S. history overseas to kind of see what you might be getting yourself into. The Army's defense that, you know, they were trying to protect its streamers from, you know, having to deal with this kind of Twitch harassment. I mean, we'll see if that holds up. Seems that, you know, Twitch hasn't really reprimanded them in that regard. The only other instance in which they might have to change things is if there was a lawsuit brought up. You know, there is a case of Knight v. Trump, the Supreme Court case from 2017, where Trump was blocking users on Twitter. And the Knight Institute for the First Amendment essentially was able to sue and say, hey, it's illegal to block people on Twitter because they need to be able to see your tweets. It's definitely an interesting situation, and we'll kind of see how it develops, and we'll see you know, what reporters are doing to kind of tackle what's going on. But yeah, that's kind of my rant on the uh, U.S. Army. But now let's jump over to League of Legends. And now I'm joined by Tyler Esguera from Dot Esports. It was announced this week that Evil Geniuses would be bringing on former Golden Guardians mid laner Grayson Golden Gilmer in a one-week contract. So before we get into last week's competition, Tyler, can you give us some background on Golden Glue? Yeah, I mean, Golden Glue's been one of the more, he's like a mainstay of the LCS. His career's lasted for, what, like seven years now, and he's been on multiple teams, kind of like a journeyman of the uh, North American scene. He started back with Team 8 for the LCS. He was on, uh, I think that's 2015, he joined Team 8, he was a sub, then he became a starter, then he joined Immortals. And then he went to Echo Fox, stayed with Team Liquid for a bit in 2016 through 2017. I think he's more well-known for his time with Team Liquid and Cloud9 soon after. And then he eventually went to Golden Guardians, Golden Guardians Academy, and then now Evil Geniuses. So he, he's gone a long way from where he started. He's only 23, but obviously a lot of esports players have pretty long careers in terms of starting early. Now he's starting for Evil Geniuses. Uh, we don't know if he's going to be on the team next week, but we'll see. He did perform pretty well this past week, so we don't know. Well, his most recent team, Golden Guardians, why was he let go? So from what he said, he thought that he was performing really well. He, saw, he thought that he performed decent enough to, to stay. And then the team told him that they might be bringing in DeMonte as a starter. And then eventually they kind of moved DeMonte into the starting lineup. They had him try out for the academy team. And then they ended up going with somebody else. 
And so it was kind of a rough situation where they kind of just saw a possibility with DeMonte. They went for it. And then now Ablaze Olive, they kind of tr- like played both of them for the academy role. And because of Ablaze, he has less experience and he's younger, they decided to go with him. And so Golden Glue was re- replaced. And he actually mm-hmm. was considering to move to a coaching position right before he was given the spot with uh, EG. And the spot with EG, it was for a one-week contract. Is that at all bizarre in League of Legends? A little bit. I haven't seen anybody get like almost like a trial run contract. I haven't seen that a lot in the LCS, which makes me think like maybe they're just trying to see, try to work around certain rosters. Obviously, that's what they said is that, oh, we're trying to see which fits best. This was really uh, unique, I think, in terms of signing somebody like Golden Glue, who's been in the league for so long. Maybe they're just trying different things. I I guess it worked out because they beat Cloud9. But um, we'll see because they haven't really said anything about whether or not he's going to stick with the team. They still have Jazuke because he's also played a lot with Zazel and Svenskeren in the past on Cloud9. I think that that existing synergy was really beneficial to them. So in the beginning of the split, I talked to Zazel and Sven about what the growing pains were playing with Jazuke. And one of the biggest things that they said was Jazuke is really fun to play with, but he's a very almost he plays off emotion. He plays off feeling. He's very, very almost random with some of the plays that he does because he just goes off feeling. Although that could be really good for a team, I can see where it can kind of pose some problems. Whereas Golden Glue, the way that he plays, a little bit more traditional, a little bit more reserved. He's not as almost erratic. So I think that that was kind of like that evening out factor. Hmm. Well, I mean, after this performance, I mean, is there a chance that Golden Glue will get, you know, a a long-term contract with Evil Geniuses? Mm, Well, right now, I would say... It's a good indication. I mean, obviously he played well, but right now they could put him on the academy team. I don't know if he will remain on the starting roster because mm-hmm. I think that Jizuke is uh, really like way better than him in terms of technica- technical like skill. Obviously, technical skill isn't the only thing that you want to have on a team. If somebody's working with the other players in terms of synergy, that can be infinitely better than having someone who's really good technically. But as for Golden Glue, what's kind of weird to me is like, I've seen him. He's a very talented player and he always works really, really hard. But from what I've seen from him, he seems to be the mid laner that teams pick up as they're transitioning and become a better roster. I I don't know if that's like coincidental or not because he's been on teams like Cloud9 and TL who have all used him and had him start at one point or, or another. And then after a while, he gets dropped by the team. They pick up like a star and then they're really, really good. It's kind of weird. Like he's kind of like they pick him up. He plays for a bit. They kind of find their own way. And then they say, okay, we're going to get another better mid laner. Because I'm not saying that he's not good, but he's not amazing. You know what I mean? So I think that that's where he lies right now. I could see EG using Golden Glue for a bit more just so that they can find more of their synergy together. But I don't know if he'll be starting for them, maybe on the academy. So what is the state of North American mid laners? Why, have, why hasn't North American been able to produce these star mid laners that you find in China and Korea? It starts from the bottom, like from the roots in North America in general. I think that when you look at Europe and when you look at China and Korea, it starts in solo queue because that's obviously where everyone's going to get their practice, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you're going to get your amateur players and those upcoming stars that you won't see anywhere else. Solo queue environment in North America is leagues below everything else. Whether it's, you know, the mentality of the players, uh, the mentality of the pro players towards solo queue. There's a huge kind of like idea that, oh, North American solo queue players just want to be streamers. And 
although that might seem like a meme, it's almost true in a way. I don't think that North American players and North American pros take solo queue as seriously as other regions. And that just kind of leads into a whole problem of, okay, so there's not a lot of players who are taking it seriously, which means that teams and there's not a lot of players who want to go pro in the first place, which means that teams are struggling to find new players to bring up and try to like cultivate in the first place. But also a lot of North American teams are kind of reluctant to pick up these young upcoming players in solo queue they're very reluctant so instead they go towards veterans and imports in na at least the support for tier two and amateur scenes is pretty non-existent in the region right we have the academy league and then we have collegiate which is still kind of like it's kind of gatekeepy because you have to be in college and then you have scouting grounds i guess but we rarely see anybody come from scouting grounds because everybody they sign them for two weeks and then they just drop them from the roster whereas you look at europe for example and of course another problem is Player base. I think that North America has a very low player base when it comes to Europe, Korea, China. Like, North America has the lowest player base. And so, mm. when you look at Europe and they have over 10 regional leagues where players can get exposure and get experience on stage without even having to go to the LEC. Whereas you look at North America and it's like Academy or LCS. And so, there's nowhere where you can really get yourself out there or be seen, and then it leads into teams just looking elsewhere. That's why you see so many uh, imports is because there's nothing really to scout here, and so they go to Europe, and then they go to Korea or China. And mid lane especially, there's not a lot of mid lane talent that we can see so far. That's why I'm really happy to see some teams like, let's say, TSM or even 100 Thieves who are taking chances on these younger talents like Poom, uh, and, and moving these players away, like like veterans, out of the starting roster and putting these young guys in. Because not only does that give these young guys exposure and experience, but it also forces these veterans who have been who've gotten used to being on the LCS stage because there's no one else to pick up. Now they're forced to either improve or get out of the way. You know, it's going to be like one of these situations, kind of like it is in some sports that are more popular overseas than they are in America, that if you're a North American kid and you really want to go pro in this, you pretty much have to beg your parents to like sign you up with some academy or club or team overseas and ship you off there for you to practice there for like most of the year and then you know kind of live as a transient i mean is that going to be the case for young north american players wanting to go up into the uh, into professional league of legends i mean it's a scary thought right like i i wish that the league of legends ecosystem in north america was healthy enough that our younger players like 16 17 because you see all these kids in china and korea they're 16 17 years old and they're already in like a junior like program in a professional team i don't think we have any of that the only thing we have maybe is 100 these next and uh, also tsm i think tsm has a program too but i don't think that we have a lot of support for like those younger players just yet and it wouldn't honestly makes sense for them to be like if i want to go pro in league i'm probably gonna have to go to europe i'm probably gonna have to go to like korea or china where it's more it's taken a little bit more seriously almost also helps that the competition is like way higher right that's why you see north american teams bootleg in china or europe you know it's great that this kind of venue of work this kind of career choice is getting a little bit more normalized obviously it's a little bit it's going to take a little bit more but for kids who do want to say hey i want to try this and it's like, hey, maybe I can go to Europe or Korea for, I don't know, six months or something to try it out, to practice and to join a team or something. That's viable. But the fact that it's not viable in the West, in North America, is pretty scary. And I think that that's probably an area that some North American teams should start to look at, is to try and cultivate and help grow 
our young players who are looking to make a career out of esports. Well, we'll see. Let's see if they can actually turn it around. Uh, with that, thank you so much for jumping on, Tyler. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate, subscribe, and share. Your support will help the show grow. We also have a new website. If you'd like to read transcripts of the show or find other ways to support us, head on over to ftwmod.com. If you'd like to follow Tyler on Twitter, you can find him at Tyler underscore is underscore online or go to his writing over at .esports.com. If you'd like to follow my work at The New York Times, The Washington Post, and elsewhere, you can find me on Twitter at Ahmad. Annie Pay is our producer. Any questions about the show can be directed to her at pay underscore Annie. Joe Domek is our outreach manager and Ron Lyons is our researcher. With that, we'll catch you guys next week.